I'm Friedel. And I'm Andrew. Welcome to the latest edition of the Traveling to Radio Show. The reason it's so noisy here is because we're standing in front of a gigantic waterfall on our second day in Slovenia. Yeah, it's a magnificent waterfall about 15 meters up. It's dropping into this emerald green pool. Um, and we've been walking up through this gorge to it. It's absolutely magnificent. It's something that we never expected of Slovenia when we came into the country a couple days ago. So we're going to share some more of our first impressions of this country with you. And we're also going to share an interview that we did with a couple in France a few months ago. So, on with the show, just as soon as we get away from this very noisy waterfall. There we go. Well, we're somewhere a little bit quieter now, not so far away from the waterfall. You can probably still hear it roaring in the background there. And maybe you can also hear the babbling brook that we're sitting beside. And now we want to tell you a little about our first impressions of Slovenia. We had quite a trial getting into the country. Yeah, we uh, took a minor road, basically, to, to avoid the traffic and uh, ended up on a four-kilometer hike up, uh, switchback after switchback. Um, it was stated at a 12% grade, but I think it was much more than that in, in parts along the way. And so we, we climbed for a, a couple hours. At least. And... It, just to give you an idea of how steep it was, it starts to sound a bit like a big fishtail, you know, it was so hard, but even the racing cyclists who were on these little carbon fiber bikes with no bags or anything had gotten off and given up pedaling up the hill. Yeah, so. we, I think we met about four four London cyclists going up the hill, and uh, two of them were huffing and puffing them, and two of them were walking, so uh, they, they were having a fun time, I think. But eventually we got over the hill and down past the border, which was just a formality, really, because Slovenia is part of Europe now and uses the euro. Yeah, and so those waved us through, and uh, we eventually found uh, a little town and a campground. Yeah, we're in the town of Kovarit, and this town has been a really pleasant surprise to us. Not only has it got the waterfall, which we've just talked about, but also they've got a fantastic museum because there was quite a lot of activity here between the Italian and Austro-Hungarian troops during World War I. So if you're interested in that part of history, they've got a museum that details all of that and has won quite a few awards. It's a fantastic little museum that you never expect to find in what is really not much more than a village, or at least it doesn't feel yeah. that way. And they've got quite a few water sports around here, canyoning and kayaking all on the Socha River. So really quite an active little place. Even in this gorge here, you can see little hook holes where obviously people are, are rappelling up, up or down the waterfall. So there's a lot of activity going on in this little town in the northwest of Slovenia, not too far from Ljubljana, maybe a day and a half bike ride, something yeah. like that. Probably not much more than 100 kilometers west of Ljubljana. So if you're interested in a bike tour here, our first impressions are pretty good ones, I'd say. Yeah, it's uh, worth a trip. Next up, we've got an interview with a couple people we met in a French campground a couple months ago. It seems so long ago, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> Um, the names are Andrew and Ider. He's Australian and she's Spanish. And they lived in Australia for a while and then they decided to pack it all in and travel overland back to Europe. And this is the story of how they did it and some of their adventures along the way. Now, they didn't do it by bicycle, although they were traveling by bike when we met them. But nevertheless, they have some really interesting advice and stories to tell from their trip. So, here they are. My name's Andrew. I'm from Melbourne, Australia. And at the moment, we're spending four days cycling around the south west of France. For the last year, we have been on a, a year sabbatical, and we travelled from Melbourne to Spain overland, 
uh, interviewing uh, community elders about how their their natural environments had changed throughout their throughout their generation. What prompted that project? Well, it's long story, I guess, but. Um, um, well, I'm from Spain. My husband, Andrew, is from Australia. We lived in Australia for five years. Um, we both decided to come to Spain to live, so we decided to take that year off in between to think about how the changes were going to um, come, I guess. And we just decided to do something else but traveling uh, in, like in that year and to take the most out of our trip and enjoy the most and learn something, not just to to be tourists but to get something out of the people that we met and that's why we decided to do this project. Andrew's been working in the environment for many years now so that's what we did. Yeah. How, how did you even go about organizing something like that to, to interview people along the way and, and a very specific group of people because to me even just to organize a trip overland as opposed to buying around mm. the world plane, you know that in itself is a big project mm. so how did you go about doing that? It w at, the f at the beginning it was just a a loose concept and the main objective was to, ju to just travel and then the trip turned into collecting the interviews. We were lucky enough to receive support from UNESCO. It's, this is where three years into the United Nations Decade for Education for Sustainable Development so we were lucky enough to, to obtain some funding for that and that paid for transport to remote locations and also translations and then it was just a matter of getting in contact with NGOs, getting in contact with local communities and trying to make it work and, and juggle current interviews, future interviews, articles, promotion, all at the same time. That's fantastic. So give us an idea of um, maybe the timeline of your trip. Can you, can you run us through briefly from A to Z, if it's mm -hmm. possible, <laughs> where you start it, where you yeah. end it, and where you went in between? We started in March last year and we left Melbourne and we crossed south to north as from like the whole of Australia and then we had to catch just one plane to Indonesia to from the north of Australia to, to Bali because we just couldn't get the means to, to get by boat or by any, well obviously no walking uh, but yeah there was no boats going that way and we caught a plane and then we basically did the Southeast Asia by boat and by trains, buses, taxis. So you went from from Indonesia to oh, Singapore, Singapore, Malaysia, Malaysia Thailand. Cambodia, Vietnam. Then we crossed all of China. We went to Mongolia. In every country, we basically spent for every country three weeks, four weeks, depending on the country. We went from Mongolia to Russia, and then we crossed Russia. We went down the stands, um, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan. We crossed to Iran, to Turkey. Then we caught our boat to Greece. From Greece, we caught our boat to Italy. And from Italy, we came overland by train to, from France to Spain. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to say is yeah. wow. It sounds short now. Yeah, it is. <laughs> when you sum it up in 30 seconds. <laughs> so over all that time, I know it's very hard to, to think back and condense a year maybe into a couple thoughts, but there must be a few places or maybe a, a story that an elder told you that really stood, stood out in your mind. Can you share one or two with us? The stories which stood out for, uh, well, for me personally were the stories that we collected from people. Some of the most impacting stories were those in the northeast of Kazakhstan where the USSR 
uh, detonated over 460 nuclear tests and there were local communities living in the area and now they're living the repercussions of those tests and and the generations to come will live will live the repercussions and it was just stories about you know illness uh, you know high rates of you know infant mortality skin diseases respiratory diseases yeah and it was it's just really disturbing to to know that these things these happen and you just know nothing about it in Mongolia as well, there was a, quite an impacting story. We we just travelled uh, following a river that was drying up through um, some uh, gold mining in the top of the mountains that were dragging the, the, the all the water from the rivers, and the river was just drying up. So we just followed the river, um, interviewing nomad people that were affected from the lack of water and their lifestyles, and that was quite impacting as well. To know, I think... In all these stories, the common thing was the water, how important water is in our life, and I- in the city, in the in the countryside, it was it was just in all the countries, everyone that we interviewed agreed on the same aspect, how important water is, and I think just in the Western countries we have forgotten that that little aspect, and in a more um, like touristic way as well, I think we both were extremely surprised and. Um, how welcome we were in Iran. I was, as a woman mainly, I guess I was very, uh, I don't know the word, apprehensive, apprehensive to go to to Iran. And and as soon as we stepped in, it took like just a couple of hours to get rid of all those feelings. And and we have it was one of the like top countries that we visited in terms of how we felt like welcomed and by ev- every single citizen. We didn't have a bad experience. Mm. That it was amazing. Did you wear the headscarf there, or did yeah, you? Of course. Yeah, yeah headscarf, like a special type of dressing. I couldn't show. Yeah, like uh, I had to dress m- m- mostly like they dress. Sorry, like, like they, they dress. dress. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I didn't want to stand out anyway. Like uh, I want to. Yeah, I wanted to. I don't know. When you go to Rome, do as Romans do. So I didn't want to stand out for anything of my dress code or anything and like it's that. Much more, it's still li- more liberal for, for foreigners. Yeah. You can show a little bit more hair. Yeah. You they were very don't have to be wearing the same colours. Exactly. But, but that was an ac- anecdote at the end of the trip. You're just dragged in by the welcoming of the Persian culture and and what a wonderful country they have that, I don't know, wearing a headscarf it was just an anecdote, really. What about some of the other countries you went through? I mean, a lot of the countries like uh, the Stands or Mongolia maybe aren't on the typical tourist trail, although mm. they're becoming increasingly yeah. more so. I mean, yeah. Were they difficult to travel around? Did you find yourselves having to, I don't know, bargain a lot or deal with bribes or, or anything bizarre <laughs> that might throw bargain, other travelers yes. off? <laughs> bargain, <laughs> yes. bargain, 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 yes. Bargain. had to bargain for yeah. everything, from buying a bread to staying in a hotel to buying water <laughs> to yeah. anything. We had to bargain. Yeah, I'm still horrible at it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I still get done. Ten dollars for a bottle of water, no yeah. problem, sir. <laughs> Crossing the borders, like dealing with the government, the was the hardest. The bureaucracy was the hardest. Crossing borders over land were a nightmare. Sometimes we were stopped like up to twelve hours in one border. Sometimes we were rejected. They didn't want us to cross, so even with the right visa and everything, from one border to the other side of the country. We had to find. In one country, we had to go in one same day to three different border points to cross the country. Like we had adventures like that. Most of them came out yeah, in the border crossings, 
people trying to like military people trying to get bribes of you in the border mm. crossings but but no but no. we really like we yeah nothing an anecdote like yeah. the and the only times we were approached by military or police was mainly out of curiosity it's kind of like oh you know where are you from or you know they look at your passport and they look at every single page rather than the page they should be looking at and they go oh, wow you you went to mongolia mm. and you know they want to have their picture taken with you it's you know they're 18 year old kids or 20 year old kids and they're just curious, yeah. So we were lucky, I think, but also we were quite precaution. We took the right precautions, and we were lucky enough to not have anything bad to us. But we met a handful of travellers, and we didn't hear any tragic stories or any nightmare stories. We say, oh, you know, don't go to that place. Or and now you're back and settled in Spain, but you're still doing a little bit of travelling <laughs> on a very yes. rainy <laughs> long weekend in France. Yes, yeah. very rainy. So we're actually back to normal life, but. We're trying as well to uh, build up an exposition with the materials that we got from them, from the work we did for the, our travelings, and we did a couple of um, talks, like um, radio in interviews, radio interviews, and a few of those. But we want to, we're like entries organising. Well, I'm, I just found a job, so while I'm doing these entries, trying to organise, and it, it seems like it's going through the right path, like a big uh, exposition with all the photos and materials that we got. And that's what we're doing now, and and trying to keep alive our memories of the trip, because otherwise it's just so easy to forget them mm. and get into the normal life, back to n family meetings, work, Friday night out, and and it's yeah. And sometimes you you go on Sunday night and you say, oh my God, we're gonna forget all we saw, we all the people we met, all the experience we lived, and and that's why we <laughs> we were trying to get a a little bit of like our four days out. In a rainy day. <laughs> <laughs> was yeah. it difficult for you to make the initial step towards taking a year off, or was that just a, a no-brainer? In, in terms of money, I don't think it's that expensive. People buy cars like for two years. We were saving to do this, and it's easy. Depending what country you go to, you don't need to save up a lot of money. We calculated the money we spend. People spend them when they buy a car. Mm. Uh, people spend that money in that, and, and that's what we spend in our in our trip. No, no more than that, really. What it what a car cost. In terms of money, it wasn't a hard decision. I think the traveling is not hard, but making the decision of taking a year off and, and putting Leaving your life in break yeah. is the harder thing. Not knowing if you're going to come back to a job, but you know we're lucky that we've got a, f a certain amount of financial security. We've got family and friends which are supportive, so that you know we're we're quite secure with those things and. And but I think the hardest thing is to make the decision of saying, let's go out, let's, mm. let's take a year off, let's start again from zero in Spain, like let's leave our comfort life in Australia and let's, let's just do it. I think, I think once you've decided, yeah, let's do it, the rest is just so easy. Like, That's what I was crossing, getting at, yeah. because I remember when we made this decision to go mm. and, and bike around the world, you know, in quotation yeah. marks, that the day I quit my job and I handed in my notice, I walked out shaking and I just yeah. had this horrible feeling in my stomach, like, yeah. oh my goodness, I've ruined my life. Yeah. <laughs> the rest after that, I think it's easy. Personally, it a, I think yeah. it's easy. It gets easier and easier. Crossing a border from Russia to Mongolia, it's it's easy. Yeah. I think the hardest things for us too was to quit our jobs that we liked. Yeah. Because we we thought, oh, now or never, which I don't believe now. I really think we can do this again whenever we want. And talk us through uh, just what you're doing for the weekend. I know it's just a short little trip, <laughs> but you're on your bicycles. And what were yeah, your ideas? Just to come that. see a little bit of France? Or you do it. No, no, no. I'm going to go for the ride. 
Because she's spied there's only one glass of wine left. <laughs> either, either wanted to try cycle tourism. I'd been, I've done it a few times and I'd been away with friends in Australia and a few adventurous trips through deserts and what have you. And, and either wanted to give it a shot. So this is kind of a little adventure to see what cycle tourism's like and, and see if she, she enjoyed being on a bike, on a hard saddle for, you know, six hours a day. And what are your impressions? I'm loving it, absolutely loving it, yeah. And I think you get a, a better reception from people. You get a very warm reception from people, locals, when you're riding a bike. Like, I'm, I know we've just been for three days, but people just smile at you when they see you with your big backpacks and the, and the bikes arriving to a place. I think it's a lot less, like, noisier than arriving in a car. Uh, you're, you're just calmer, you, you go slower, and people are happy to have a chat to you or... So mm. I'm really liking them. We were planning our next trip to maybe Japan or and <laughs> <laughs> doing Japan riding <laughs> for three months or something like that. Oh, you should definitely do Japan. Yeah. I haven't been to Japan on a bicycle, but <laughs> it's a fantastic yeah, country. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I was reading a book by someone called Josie Du, and she yeah. was saying that it's just such a welcoming and peaceful country yeah. that you can camp anywhere. You know that she camp in the middle of roundabouts and just anywhere. Yeah, so yeah. and everyone talks about how expensive Japanese so we thought it'd be as well a good way to a do yeah it. a good way of traveling and you know not spending on um, a fortune so next time we'll see in Japan <laughs> in the bike in one or two years if I get a job if you get a job <laughs> the eternal dilemma of the yeah. traveler yeah. whether to get a job or yeah. to save money <laughs> back to the boring beat <laughs> yeah is there any piece of advice that you'd give to other people who are, are thinking of taking off for a year or more just do it. Like yeah. the advice is just do it. The things are a lot easier once you're in the road. Maybe don't be so. Uh, don't be so afraid of, of um, you know, you see on the news so many horrible things, and you hear some horrible stories from places, and unless the stories are, are first hand, take it with a grain of salt because, you know, we went to places which, and you know, everyone had said, oh, you know, be careful there, you know. You know, oh, you're crazy to do that, and it's like you know, we met people along the way that had been to those places, and they said, "Oh, you're gonna love it." Yeah, and it was just you know the advice that we're giving for people, people that had you know rarely stepped outside their their suburban frontier. So yeah, just take everything with a grain of salt and do it. <laughs> thank you very much. No problem. Right, thank you. Have fun on your trip. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. Right now, we're going to be going through the rest of Slovenia and eventually to Budapest and probably around back into Munich where we're going to meet up with uh, Friedel's uncle in a few weeks. Until then, happy trails. Happy trails, and maybe we'll see you on the road.